Hi, I'm Justin Anderson, lead pastor of Icon Church. And before the sermon starts, I just wanted to say a couple things. First is that I hope this sermon is a blessing to you, that it encourages you during this time of uncertainty uh, and, and also pushes you forward in your relationship with Christ. Second, uh, if you want more resources and more information, go to iconchurch.org slash rule for life and you'll find a ton of resources about this series and about our church. So God bless and enjoy the message. Hey Icon, Justin here. It's good to see you. Hopefully you are doing well uh, in your shelter at home situation, whatever that may be. Uh, we are still in the midst of it and we are still in the midst of our Rule for Life series. So we continue this week uh, with the idea that uh, peace needs a language. Uh, one of the things that has become very real to me in these last couple of weeks is that distraction has a language of its own. And the language of distraction are memes. And memes are probably the best thing that has come of this whole coronavirus situation. There are some fantastic memes out there. Really the brilliance of meme makers is on full display and I for one am thankful for them. But memes are a language of distraction. They are not a language of peace. Peace itself needs a language. It needs one that is not rooted in fear or in control or the self. It's a language not built on political ideology or psychological categories. We need words to put to our emotions, our needs, and the insecurity that anxiety brings. We need, we need language that can get what's going on in here out of us, right? And the scriptures give us that. We have a language that brings peace. And it's a language that both recognizes the reality of our situation and expresses the hope of the gospel. One of my favorite books in the whole world is called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And one of the concepts in that book that I think is so powerful is what he calls the Stockdale Paradox. And he says this, he says that you must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So that idea of confronting the brutal facts of your reality, and, and in our situation, having the language to communicate the brutal facts of our situation, and at the very same time, never letting go of that unwavering belief that in the end, you will prevail. And that's the hope of the gospel. So. We need a language that does both, that is, that is honest about the reality that we face and clings to the promises of Christ, the promises of the gospel. In short, we need to learn how to pray, okay? So the language of peace is prayer. And here's the good news. It's not hard. Prayer is not hard. I know it feels hard for some of us and some of us love it, some of us hate it, some of us really struggle with it, but Prayer is not difficult. It's not complicated. In fact, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus simply says, this is how you should pray. And then he gives us something we call the Lord's prayer. And I love that introduction because Jesus just goes, pray like this, okay? Don't complicate it. Don't try to get all woo woo. Don't try to imagine all your own words and, and get crazy with it unless you want to, but it can be as simple as the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer contains all the language we need to express reality and cling to the hope of the gospel. 
And I would argue you could only pray the Lord's Prayer for the rest of your life and have a vibrant and satisfying prayer life. Now, notice that I said pray the Lord's Prayer and not recite the Lord's Prayer. It's a big difference. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you today how to pray the Lord's Prayer and not simply recite it. Though, I would say uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer just verbatim as Jesus taught us has real value to us as well. But as we're going to see, uh, the Lord's Prayer is a real Pandora's box in the good sense uh, of, of just a limitless opportunity to dive into the riches of the gospel and uh, to have language to confront our reality. So I'm going to walk through the Lord's Prayer and show how it perfectly expresses our current reality and the gospel in ways that gives voice to our hearts and is a corrective to it at the same moment. So with all of this, it's also relational, formational, and missional. That's what we've been talking about with all these practices. And the Lord's Prayer, it just so happens to be all of those things, relational, formational, and missional. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, stop there. One sentence. This prayer really is genius. And I know like that some might be obvious, right? Like Jesus gave it to us, so it's probably pretty good. But like in one sentence, Jesus has given us so many resources to be able to navigate this moment. In fact, four words in that one sentence jump out to me as being rich with meaning and rich with value in this moment. First, the very first word of the sentence is our, not I, not my, not mine, not, not yo for our Spanish speakers, uh, but our, right? Like, which means two things. It means one, it's not about you. Okay. So let's just start there. And two, you're not alone. It's our, it's us. It's we, it's nosotros for the Spanish speakers, right? Like this is, this is where Jesus begins to teach us how to prayer to go. Listen, when you sit down to pray and you begin with I, me, my, like, it, you're doing it wrong. It's not about you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. A rule of life is not for you. It's to form you into the kind of person who can love God and love others. That's what you're for. Like that's what God made you for, to love him and love others. And that in that purpose, you will find your ultimate satisfaction. So it shouldn't surprise us that the very first word of the Lord's Prayer is in some sense a rebuke or at least a challenge to our myopic sense of self, okay? And at the same time, a comfort to us to say, hey, we're not alone. This is an our thing, right? Second, it says our Father, and I promise we're not going to go word for word through the Lord's Prayer, but these words are so important. Our Father, God positions himself as our caretaker, our provider, and our protector. Man, what else do we need in a moment like this? Except for a caretaker, a protector, and a provider. Like that, That's exactly what we need, and that's exactly how God positions himself. Jesus invites us to go to the Father as if he were the father we need, regardless of the father we've had, right? And, and that's the reality. Like, I've always felt like God takes this huge risk by calling himself our father because our experience of fathers is all over the map, right? I love my dad. I have a great relationship with my dad. I, I look up to him and love him and respect him a great deal. But he has faults because he's human. 
And, and maybe your dad has had greater faults or more visceral response. And, and you, when you hear that word father, you go, uh, I don't know. Jesus is inviting us to the father we need, to the father we were made for, to the father we deserve, not the father we've had. Okay, so already wrapped up in this, he's going, our, not you, father, our caretaker, provider. This is who we're addressing it to. But he's not just father. It says our father in heaven, right? So he's not just this intimate Abba, father, daddy figure, but he is a divine father, which is just incredible, beautiful duality. We see love and power. So we talked about it for Good Friday and Easter, this idea of love and power. We see this in our father in heaven, this love and power duality, right? Now, this is the father we all need. It's the father we all want. It's also the king and the leader that we all crave. When you think about kind of mythical kings and leaders throughout uh, you know, literature and movies and the great stories like King Arthur and Dumbledore and my personal favorite, the president from Independence Day, right? You remember that? Bill Pullman gets into the fighter jet himself. I go, I'd vote for that guy. I don't care what his party is. Any president that can shoot down aliens in a fighter jet at a moment's notice, I'm in. He's got my vote, right? Love and power, sacrifice and ability. This is what we see in this prayer, that Jesus invites us to the heavenly Father, the Father who is divine, both love and power. And then fourth, says, hallowed be your name. And I, I kind of love that the ESV keeps this word hallowed in the translation, even though it's not really a word we use anymore. Hallowed just means like holy and holy means set apart and set apart is kind of like one of a kind, right? So we might translate this to simply say, father in heaven, our divine father, the one who embodies love and power, you are one of a kind. There is no one else like you, no enemy more powerful and no ally more powerful than he is, right? That there's no enemy that can overcome him and no ally that can deliver what he promises. Now, this one sentence, one sentence guards us from the beginning of the prayer, from myopia, from victimhood, from pity parties, from isolation, loneliness, abandonment, self-sufficiency, idolatry, chasing false saviors, hoping in politics or hoping in Dr. Fauci, the WHO, the CDC, or, or Purell, right? Like it guards us from hoping in any of those things and it guards us from despairing in politics, Dr. Fauci, WHO, CDC, and Purell. Like when we see the limits and the foolishness and, and all of the breakdowns, we can despair in all of that. And Jesus confronts all of those feelings, the, the false saviors that we reach for and the despair we feel when those false saviors inevitably fail us by simply saying, begin your prayer like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this, this ushers us into it. It invites us into the presence of God to remind us that in the midst of everything going on, we have access to God. We have access to God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe. Jesus goes, man, you feeling afraid? You feeling nervous? You feeling uncertain about the future? You feeling bored? You feeling distracted? You feeling whatever? Go talk to God. Go be in God's presence. I mean, what an incredible opportunity. And Jesus here in this first sentence just unpacks the universe for us, inviting us into relationship with God. But it doesn't end there. I mean, that was just the first sentence. Can you even believe it? Number two. Matthew 6.10, the formational side of this. 
Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you just prayed that, Every time you are afraid or uncertain, instead of trying to grasp for control or grasp for power or being paralyzed by the fear that you feel, your life would be transformed. Just praying that prayer, right? Every time anxiety or fear or something uh, wells up in you, if you just prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that would transform your life just by itself, okay? Now, by this point, I know most of the people that I'm talking to aren't necessarily afraid of the virus itself anymore. Certainly there's some you know, ongoing fear there, but for most of us, that fear is pivoted to financial concerns, right? Loss of job, 401ks, retirement, savings accounts, those kinds of things, like the, the economic realities of this situation. But no matter what your fear is in or what, what's stoking that fear, praying your kingdom come, your will be done, even before we pray that God would act or that God would do something. And, and by all means, like there's a place for that. When you go to God in prayer, we ought to, in fact, he invites us to say, to tell him what we want, what we need to go, God, please don't let me lose my job. Please provide me a new job. Please protect, you know, I, I pray with my kids every night and um, we go through this acronym of ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. I've taught my kids what supplication means. Actually, I haven't. I tell them to pray, God, you're great. God, I'm sorry. Thank you, God. And God, will you please, right? And on the God, will you please part, I always tell them, we go, God, will you please for somebody else? And then God, will you please for yourself? Okay, so I, we do this with our kids every night. And my kids have started on the God, will you please for somebody else, have started to pray, will you heal everyone from coronavirus? Or will you protect everyone from coronavirus? And I, I love that impulse in them. And I, and I think we absolutely should be praying those very things, to, that God would protect us because he can, and that God would heal because he can and he is, right? But for now, I wonder if we might just experiment with, with just praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and for a while, for just a season, holding off on praying for something specific, right? And, I, and, I, and you may ask why. And, I, and I've got good three, three good reasons, I think, for this. One is, we want your kingdom come to be true, right? Think about this. When we pray for, for things we desire, things that we think should happen in the world, even if we're spot on, right? Like, God, please protect the world from coronavirus. That, that's a good prayer. It's a holy prayer. And yet, it assumes we know all of God's purposes. It assumes we know what's best. It assumes that in the end, we would actually want our will to be done and not God's will to be done. Or it assumes that our will is God's will, which is a lot of assumptions that I'm not sure any of us want to make. Because reality is, if we want our will to be done and we want prayer to enact our will, then something worse also could happen, which is other people's prayers could come true too. So as much as I don't trust myself, I certainly don't trust you, right? Like there's lots of people that I go, man, I hope their prayers don't come true, right? Like yikes. So praying... God's will be done, God's kingdom come, is a way for us to express faith in God's will, but it's also a way to express humility in our limited knowledge. Second, it's good for your soul 
for you to let go of control and actually trust the God that you believe is good and powerful, right? It's hard. Like it's hard to just leave that sentence there and go, hey, your kingdom come, your will be done, period, and stop. Because even if we do believe he is good and powerful, even if we do believe in that love and power duality in God, there is still a sense in which we go, yeah, but maybe what his idea of love is, is my idea of pain. And we don't want that, right? So it's good for our soul to have to say your kingdom come, your will be done over and over and over full stop. Not your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I've got a few suggestions for you to actually just relinquish control and end our sentence there. And then third, the process of doing that will actually change you into the kind of person who genuinely wants God's will to be done. Because here's what I'm convinced will happen. As you pray that prayer, you will begin to feel the peace that comes as a result of it right? You will begin to feel the peace that comes as a result of letting go. And you'll recognize the fact that, oh, the harder I clench, the harder I have to clench. The more I want to be in control, the more I have to be in control. The more I have authority over, the more I have responsibility for, and I am held accountable to. And so there's a real peace in letting go. And I think that if you do that, you will experience that peace and then want more of it. And realize, oh man, actually the path to peace isn't being in control of my world and, and keeping out all outside danger as if that were possible. The key to peace is to recognize I have no ultimate control, but the one who does loves me and is powerful to make sense of the world. And that act of letting go and releasing by simply praying your kingdom come, your will be done, actually works on our hearts and convinces our hearts that that is the better way. Formation is the goal here. Remember that. And this will form you. Okay, third, missional. Matthew 6, 11 through 13, the prayer continues, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Three things, three prayers here. Remember, this language, this, this language of prayer it's not primarily for you, it's to form you into the kind of person who will love God and love others as an overflow of your character, as an overflow of kind of being in, in tune with who God has made you to be. So this prayer and, and the specific request that Jesus encourages us to make here reminds us of that formational aspect and that this, the action that we're supposed to live out is going to be a reflection of what God is doing in us formationally. That is then the result of us being connected to him relationally, right? So three prayers here. One, he says, please, we should pray, please provide for us with the implication being that we are not self-sufficient, right? Give us this day our daily bread is to say, God, I, I can't be in control of getting my daily bread. I am not self-sufficient. I cannot ultimately manipulate the world in such a way as to meet all of my own needs. I need you, right? This is a prayer for my own needs, but in like baked into this prayer for my own needs is a recognition of and a confession of that I can't meet my own needs that I actually need God to provide what I cannot provide. So here's my encouragement to you. 
turn here, turn to this prayer before you turn to strategy and planning, right? Because you still need a job so you can make money, so you can put food on the table. You need to do that, right? No one's asking you to just sit in your house and pray all day and hope that bread appears on the front porch every morning. It's not what we're talking about. But the challenge for us is, and I'll say the challenge for me is to go, okay, I have a need. I got to accomplish this. I got to put food on the table. Okay, what's the plan? What's the strategy? What's my calendar say? When do I work? What do I do? How do I, that's my, that's my impulse. And so the challenge for me is to turn here first and go, God, give us, give me, give us, again, it's plural, give us today our daily bread, provide for your people, provide for us because we cannot provide for ourselves. I mean, we didn't have the power to keep coronavirus away. So what makes us think that we're going to have power over this situation by planning and strategizing and, and doing that well, right? Proverbs 16, 9, one of my favorite passages in scripture says this, the heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. So we make plans, we do our thing, and we should, plans are good, strategy is good, but it is God who establishes our steps. It is God who puts one foot in front of the other, right? And this is good news for us because God is powerful enough to provide and he is loving enough to want to. So that's the first request. Second request says, please forgive us as we forgive others. And, and I love the kind of conditional nature to this, that Jesus is challenging us to go, hey, you can't expect to just go to God over and over and go, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and expect to be forgiven, and then turn into your missional life and not forgive anyone. Like that's absolutely hypocritical. So recently, my wife Emily jumped on the website Nextdoor, right? Nextdoor is a great way to get to know your neighbors and hear kind of what's going on uh, in your neighborhood. It's all neighborhood-based. Now, turns out that Nextdoor is terrible in the midst of a pandemic because all it is is posts of certain people going, hey, I saw these two people standing on the corner talking and they weren't six feet away from each other and I should have taken a picture and it's awful. It's just awful. And so some, you know, Karen is on there on next door typing away about all the people she sees through her binoculars. And I go, when I read, we, you know, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us, I go, okay, that means I got to forgive Karen as awful as Karen might be, I have to forgive her. And that that is the posture of a Christian that we go, okay, God, I'm not better. Well, I'm better than Karen. But like, I mean, it's the same problem, right? Like that I have to go to God for forgiveness. And then I have to turn to people in my life that drive me insane. And I have to forgive them. I have to give her the same grace that I hope to receive from God. Okay. And it reminds us, man, we're all in this together right? Like we're all responding in our own ways to this virus and the quarantines and all of that. Like we're all responding in our own way. And some of us respond in ways that are a nightmare. And some of us respond in ways that seem really healthy, but you know, we've got our own nightmares, right? So it's a good reminder that man, we're, this is a level playing field. And the grace I need from God is the grace I need to give as well. Third, Jesus asks us to pray to protect us from sin and evil, because we have to recognize that Satan is behind all of this, right? And I don't mean that in like a Kenneth Copeland, I bind you coronavirus kind of way, I, but I do mean like all of the brokenness in our world is the result of ultimately 
of spiritual realities. It is ultimately a result of Satan at work trying to destroy, trying to tear apart, trying to disunify, right? Like Satan hates you. Satan hates me and wants nothing more than to destroy me and you and our world. And so what, what I mean uh, uh, by this is all kind of a spiritual battle primarily is for us to just recognize, right? Like the, the, the brokenness that we see outside of us and the brokenness that we see inside of us is the effect of sin in our world perpetuating itself through networks of people, through decisions we make, through the pride in our hearts, through the selfishness uh, in our actions. Like it all has spiritual realities behind us. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood or even next door Karen. The battle is spiritual reality. And so that alone should drive us to prayer recognizing that like strategies and plans are not going to get us out of this thing because the ultimate reality behind all of it, yes, the outside stuff, but more importantly for you, because all you can control is you, right? All you can control is your response to all of what's going on around you. We talked about this the very first week. Finding peace has nothing to do with eliminating external stimuli. It has nothing to do with it. Peace is an internal reality, not an external reality. So the virus could go away tomorrow. You could get a great job tomorrow. You could have a perfect family tomorrow. None of that has anything to do with peace. Peace is found inside of you. Peace is about a contentment that understands the world rightly and in spite of the brokenness is able to find peace because we have connected relationally with God in such a way that kind of rightly orients us to this world. And so the sooner we can recognize the spiritual reality of that, the better. And then you may see a little footnote in your Bible there. Um, some later uh, translations or some later manuscripts as well as just kind of common use of the Lord's prayer ends this way. It's saying, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that, man, that is the reminder we need to sum up this prayer. It's his world, not ours. He has the power, not us or some governing authority we put our hope in. And he deserves the glory for its existence, its redemption, its future restoration. He deserves the glory for it all. Dwell on that and I assure you, you will find peace. This is the language we need to face the brutal facts of our reality in all of its brokenness and pain while never ever for even a moment giving up on the promises and the hope of the gospel. So Icon, let's pray this prayer together. Not just recite it, though there's power in that, but really pray that we would line by line read these words out loud and then expand upon them as expressions of our own heart. That we say, our Father in heaven, and we would get caught up on words to go, our, God, remind me that it's our and not mine. Remind me that it's us and not me. Remind me that I'm not the only one experiencing these things, which means that it's not about me, but I'm also not alone. So whether you're dealing with myopia or you're dealing with isolation, man, let that word our speak to your heart as a challenge or as a comfort. And read this prayer over and over. Pray this prayer over and over, expanding on the parts that speak the truth that you're feeling in your heart and are a valuable corrective to it. 
What empowers all of this is not the words themselves. I mean, we could do this as a mantra and it would have some good probably in our lives, but not ultimate good. What empowers this prayer is the one who gave it to us. Jesus told us this then is how you should pray, knowing full well that the only way this works, the only way that there is real ultimate power in this is because he knew even in Matthew chapter six that his life would end on the cross and in the resurrection. But the love he poured out for you on the cross was meant to be a testimony of God's love for you. That his resurrection on the third day was meant to be a testimony of God's power available to you. And he gives us these practices to orient us and reorient and reorient and reorient us back to that fundamental truth that our hope is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we are forever indebted to you. God, a resource like this, the Lord's Prayer, is, is a gift to us. Every word is packed with encouraging and corrective meaning. That you speak to the ultimate truths about reality and to our everyday. To our Monday morning at 8 a.m. and to the deepest realities of the universe. It's incredible. Lord, that you are with us as our Father and divine as our Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer. So God, I pray that we would pray this prayer over and over and over and over and in it experience the power of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Icon Church. For more information, go to iconchurch.org.